eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let me get you to take a look in the mirror. What is it that you didn't do last year that you absolutely have to do in 2018? Is it work out more, lose some weight, make more money, be a better person? All these things are admirable, but the most important thing that you can do to improve your health, well-being, and energy is to stop snoring. Get a Zipa. If you snore, you need to stop. Snoring is not sleeping. Every time you snore, both you and those next to you do not get quality sleep. How sleep deprivation impacts your life is immeasurable. What is proven is that Zipa is guaranteed to stop snoring, and what better way to start your year? Get a Zipa. Z-Y-P-P-A-H.com. Make this new year a new you. Do not procrastinate. Go to zipa.com, that's Z-Y-P-P-A-H.com. Snoring is rude, disrespectful, and embarrassing, especially if you're dating. Can you imagine sleeping over with somebody and you start snoring? Relationships are in constant strain because snoring keeps people from staying in the same bed all night long. So this is an opportunity. Get a Zipa. Once again, go to ZYPPAH.com. Make this new year a new you. Do not procrastinate. Go to Zipa.com. That's ZYPPAH.com. I'm an actor, man, and this has been therapeutic. Acting has been the most therapeutic thing that happened to me since I retired. As a football player, we're trained to not show vulnerability, not show weakness. Be hard. If I hit somebody as a football player and they got a concussion, I mean, I, it's, it's not that I try to give you a concussion, but f*** it. Because if, if, if I wouldn't give you one, you would have given me one. But now that I'm out and I've been an actor, it peeled back so many layers on me as a person and brought me back. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. After a week in the bold north, it is good to be back in SoCal. And even better to be dropping episode 23 with Thomas Q. Jones. Now, maybe you remember Thomas Jones. No Q. From the 12 seasons he played in the NFL, over 10,000 yards rushing, a former first-round pick, a pro bowler. To me, one of the more underrated backs that I've ever seen. He ripped off five straight 1,000-yard seasons over a career that had five different stops. But his career after football is why I wanted to catch up with Thomas. Because the son of a coal miner took that same work ethic that got him out of Big Stone Gap, Virginia, and brought it with him to Hollywood, where he's having a hell of a second act. I've had a lot of conversations with Thomas throughout his career in the NFL, but none quite like this. Pot up. We get this thing started right after a word from our friends at Lumber Liquidators. It's a new year, right? We all want to elevate our game to that next level and make 2018 the best year ever. If you're a contractor or a builder or a remodeler, listen up because elevating your game this year just got a whole lot easier thanks to my pals at Lumber Liquidators and their new LL Pro Plus program. 
LL Pro Plus is Lumber Liquidator's new pro services team that you can call for all of your professional flooring needs. LL Pro Plus will help you absolutely crush it this year with professional pricing and dedicated support to get you what you need when you need it so you can get your projects finished on time. LL Pro Plus gives you the ultimate value and quality and with LL Pro Plus, no job is too large or too small. Put the flooring experts on your team today. Visit your local Lumber Liquidator store or go to LumberLiquidators.com. That's LumberLiquidators.com. Let me go ahead and take an educated guess before I press play that Philly fan probably dented up my voicemail machine and Pat's fan probably took the week off. Let me take another educated guess that everything in between is the same crap that I could definitely start living without. Remember... I ripped this thing a few weeks back. I can do it again. I want this to get better, but it's not on me. It's on you. So make it better. Grab a pen. Save these digits. 949-385-0447. All right, then. Let's see how my prognostications play out and then get to something that I know will be great. Thomas Jones. You have nine new messages. First new message. Hey, it's Matt. This is John Elway. Just letting you know, first off, I'm going to be going after Cousins even more than Bodie and Pearland. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, Russell, South Carolina. Dude, your week was freaking awesome from Minneapolis. Anyway, Romy, I'm out. God bless, brother. Great week. Enjoyed every minute of it. Late. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Romy, Ryan in Oregon. You're spot on, man, about people complaining about having the Super Bowl in Minnesota. And they want to sit there for the comforts of their own personal bubbles, nice and warm with their whatever they're drinking, sitting there freaking, fuck, I need to stop smoking, God. You're spot on, though, man. Message saved. Next message. Fly, eagle, fly. Fly, eagle, fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah! Romy, play my voicemail podcast, the best thing ever, man. I'm out here on these roads. I enjoy everything from Jim Romy. Keep doing it. Fly, go fly. Oh! Message saved. Next message. Rome, RJ from Harrisburg calling here. Eagles won the Super Bowl. First year that my dad and I have watched every single game together since we had a falling out years ago. With this Super Bowl, Philadelphia got their first Super Bowl championship, and I got my dad back. Message saved. Next message. Press 1 if you are diabetic and ready to claim your free diabetic test meter. Press 2 if you are busy now and need me to call you back tomorrow. Press 9 to be removed. Message deleted. Next message. Yo, 40-year-old bet. Leave the Hail Marys to Aaron Rodgers. He can pull them off. You can't. He's the best quarterback in the NFL today. Not you, you old bastard. You, it's time to take your 40 year old ass and fucking retire, you piece of shit. <laughs> message deleted. Next message. Rome, what's up? It's RTN. Props to Josh McDaniels for already figuring out India is a crap hole town and jumping ship. I wonder how much booze and pills it'll take to make this stop hurting Ursay. Message deleted. You have no more messages. All right, then. Let the record show. RJ in Harrisburg. Props to you, my man. 
your Eagles won, you rebuilt your relationship with your father, and you made a phone call about not one, but two momentous occasions in your life, and you did not break down in tears. Nice job. Russ, thank you very much for the kind words about my time on Radio Row. Ryan, thank you for putting the cron down long enough to appreciate my take on Minnesota before falling right back into that Team Bake haze. But for the rest of you, John Elway, Kirk Cousins, and Bodie in Pearland Smack in one call. What, you couldn't smash SJP in there too? Also, I am keeping score now. Sid Crosby, good. Madison Baumgartner, good. Aaron Rodgers, good. Tom Brady's 40-year-old ass, not good. And RTN, that call could have got you choppered from the radio program. It damn near got you choppered via the podcast. And now we're right back onto thin ice with this whole thing, especially when the best call that I got might have been from a robot telemarketer. Let's get to the reason then why this podcast exists. My interview with Thomas Q. Jones right after this word from Kalo. We welcomed a brand new sponsor to our pod last week, Kalo Rings. My crew was quick to find their way to a Kalo ring. It is the new functional wedding ring to wear when your traditional metal wedding ring will not work. Athletes like Derek Carr, Zach Ertz, and Nick Foles all wear a Kalo. They're made from silicone, so they're perfect for wearing when you're at the gym or you're skiing or you're doing something athletic. They're made for both guys and gals. They're great for firefighters, the police, military, nurses, doctors, and mechanics. They've got tons of designs and colors. A Kalo may be the perfect Valentine's gift, too. They're priced right to have more than one. Find them online at Kalo.com or retail stores like Dick's Sporting Goods, Bass Pro Shop, and Academy Sports. Clones, get 10% off at QALO.com and use my name, Jim Rome. Promo code gets you 10% off QALO.com. Use my promo name, Jim Rome. Once again, I do not play favorites. You know this. But Thomas Jones was one of my favorites. This guy's all about the right stuff. About hard work. About commitment. About making the right choices. And he's all about a new grind that I think will surprise you. Thomas and I talked about a lot of things. About the pain of losing a Super Bowl. About the pain that he wakes up with every single morning. And what it's like to get naked with Gabrielle Union on camera. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed catching up with him, and I'm pretty damn sure you're going to enjoy it as well. I'm excited to be here. Um, everything is, is great. Um, I'm, I'm excited about what's going on now and uh, my post-career. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. All right, so I'm going to talk to you about your second career. But I think to fully understand and appreciate this second career, to appreciate what you're doing right now, we really should go back to the beginning one more time. You've got one of my favorite nicknames ever for an athlete. You are the coal miner's son. Now, I know that's important to you because you've got that inked right across your chest. Coal miner's son, what's that represent to you? Coal miner's son represents dignity, hard work, dedication, humility. And, and those are the things I think that, that you have to have to be successful in some capacity. You know, some people, even if they're over the top or they're a little arrogant or cocky, all of those elements are still in there. Uh, dignity, humility, in some capacity. So you have to be humble enough to know that you have to continue to work hard to be better and get better and to know that you can always get better. Um, you know, you have to have some sort of dignity in yourself, determination, dedication, all those things. So uh, my mom and dad worked in the coal mines in Virginia, where I'm from. My town is very, very small, coal mining industry. Uh, my father worked one year, was laid off. My mother worked 19 years underground. 
the hoot owl shift is what, what we call it, 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. So uh, as a kid, when you grow up watching your parents working in the coal mines, um, it's kind of like, <laughs> uh, I mean, to put it, to be blunt, I, I would never go in a coal mine. I've been to the mouth of one, but I, I never went in. Uh, I just, it was just it was scary, man. It's dark. It's a, it's a cave. It's a cave. Um, so, you know, when you, when you see your parents do that day in, day out, I mean, it's almost a shame if you can't go out and make something of yourself. That's how I always perceived it, even as a kid. That's amazing. You, you are one of the toughest guys I've ever seen, I've ever spoken to, and you just said it yourself, I'm not going in there. <laughs> Dude, your mom, Betty, worked 19 years on the overnight shift. It's incredible. What was that like for her and then for you and your siblings? It was scary because at any moment, you know, the, the cave could fall in, mountain could fall in. There's so many things that go on in coal mines. Uh, you can get trapped. There's, uh, you know, fumes and things you're breathing in. And, uh, you know, my mother and father worked combined 20 years. That's why my, my football number in the NFL was number 20. Hmm. Uh, it's, it was just inspiration every time I put the jersey on because it wasn't necessarily about the, the number. It was about what it represented. Um, but for us, you know, I'm, I remember, like yesterday, sitting at school, just worried, nervous. Especially when you're when you're a young kid and you're in elementary school, you don't think about it that much. You just know, you know, your mom and dad they're at work. But as you get older and you start to realize the dangers and you start to hear stories and you start to see some of your other friends, fathers get hurt because my mother was the only woman that worked huh. in the coal mine, the only woman that worked underground. So when you start hearing about the other uh, your friends' fathers getting injured or uh, fatality in minds, then it starts to connect. Like, wow, this is what she does every night. And, um, and you start to worry. And, but on the flip side, it was a blessing for me because it was just, it gave me so much more motivation to get to where I was trying to go. So I was going to ask you that because you grew up in this mining town, Big Stone Gap, right? So pretty impoverished area. So I'm curious about your mindset. I mean, when you're coming up, you're thinking, this is all I know. I'm probably going to live and die here. Or were you already running on a totally different kind of fuel with a different mission? I had a totally different mission. When I was five years old, I told my mom and dad I was going to buy them a house and a car. Sometimes we would drive around and... and uh, five? And, uh, you said that when you were five? Five years old. And they had my... Actually, for, for Christmas, probably about... Ten years ago, they kept my fo first football jersey, my football uniform they bought me when I was five, and they had, had kept it, and I didn't know they kept it, and they put it in a frame and gave it to me for my birthday about ten years ago, mm. so it's hanging up in my house. Um, we would drive around the nicer areas in my, in my town, and um, we'd all pile up in the car. We had a Pontiac Grand Prix, and we'd all pile up in the car, and uh, I would literally sit in the middle in the back, and I would sit with my head and you know in between the, the center console, and my dad's driving on mom's on the passenger side. And I would ask him a million questions. And I would like, look at that house, look at that house. And I would say, hey, one of these days I'm going to buy you a house and a car. I'm going to buy you a house and a car. So from the time I was five years old, I, I don't know if it was just um, some some intuition that I had or or, um, or what. But I was just always thinking of the next thing and thinking of helping my family. And that was my motivation. It was not ever to be an NFL superstar or an actor or whatever. It was because I really watched my mom and dad sacrifice and I was so grateful and appreciative that I wanted to return the favor. And at five years old, obviously I can't, you know, I don't have the resources to do anything, but that was something that was, that was motivation for me. And um, that's, that's pretty much why I was able to um, get to where I, where I ended up. You know, my, my, 
a big influence obviously was um was was were both of my parents but my father was a huge influence my father exposed me to the things and the, the the places that i wanted to go he would take me to college football games he would take me to um an nfl football game if he had the money uh, these are things and when you're exposed to these things as a kid it, it becomes more real it's not just on tv it's not just an idea it's you can smell it you can touch it you can taste it you you you, you feel the energy when you go to an nfl exhibition game when you go to the university of tennessee game and i'm you know 10 years old and you see 100,000 fans, they're playing the Florida Gators, and you hear the band coming in, and you, you, you see the players come out for warm-ups, and you see the tee open, and you see the players, and you hear the energy, and it's so loud. It, it just makes you want it that much more. So whenever I would go to those events, when I would go back home, physically I was there, but mentally I was somewhere else. I was where I wanted to be. And, and, and I give all that credit to my mom and dad, especially just because of the way that they raised me. But, but I really give a lot of credit to, that, to, to my father because my father understood what I wanted to do. And he assisted me. He didn't push me. He assisted me. And, and even to this day, I'm beyond, I, could, I could never, ever thank my mom and dad. Um, I could never thank them enough. They made the ultimate sacrifice, and they, they, and they planted those seeds, and you, had, you saw possibilities, and you had a vision, but you were inquisitive now. You told my <laughs> guy Jeff Perlman something great. I love this line. You said, quote, I'm watching the Cosby show, and Yo! MTV raps, and I'm wondering, where are these people? Where can I find them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so was, great. That was me. That was me. I mean, when you're from a small area like that, you, you know, I watch TV, and I, I was nothing was ever too big for me. Uh, I, I never thought... That's for someone else. That that just that never crossed my mind in my life. I, I would see things and I would want to be there. Or I'd be curious, where are they? Or where do they get that? You know, you see outfits back in the day, you know, they have the starter outfits, starter jackets, and crisscross, and all these groups would come out. And, and I would want to know, where do they get that? You know, because I didn't have access to it or the money. But, you know, it just drove me more to want to know, where are these people? Where is all this happening? Because that's where I, I need to be there. I feel like I could... I know I belonged. I could do well there too. So I want to know where these people are. Even at a young age, that's how I thought. Uh huh. So you end up in Los Angeles, which I want to get to in a minute. But just before we leave the topic of football, you know, I'm curious. I mean, like you had a great career. You had a great career. You Thank played you. 12 seasons, five teams, more than 10,000 yards. And believe me, you earned every one of those yards. You were a monster in the gym. You look great right now. But I got to ask, you look amazing right now. How great a toll did playing 12 years in the league take on your body when you never shied away from either delivering or taking contact? Uh, the way I breathe now is, is part of that 12 years. I mean, I have, I have a shortness of breath. I broke my ribs in, um, Arizona and I was misdiagnosed. And, uh, by the time I figured it out, I had developed this, uh, this breathing pattern that was off. And, um, you know, on one side, uh, it was not a good thing, but it was a good thing because it made me really understand what's going on. It's kind of every man for themselves. You need to be able to understand your body and how it works and how the body works and nutrition and um, and be able to understand that, you know, even though sometimes people may have your best interest at heart, they, they have um, someone else that they need to answer to. And so your well-being might not be at the forefront. And I learned that at a very, very early age in the NFL. Um, I mean, as far as just, um, you know, um, my overall health, I mean, I'm – you know, my body's pretty screwed up. I mean, I, I get up in the morning. I, I, I'm a very youthful, energetic guy. I like to laugh. I joke all day long. So in my mind, I'm still a kid. So it's kind of weird when you get up in the mornings and you kind of have to... What's that process like when you get up in the morning right now? What's that process uh, like? Uh, you First of all, it's uh, 
sometimes something's numb, whether it's my left arm or my left leg or my, and it's not how I slept on it. You know, I, um, I can't really um, sit up. I have to really lay all the way on my back because if I sit, if I sit with my back against the headboard, my back will start to hurt and my neck will get stiff. So I have to actually lay back with my head back on the pillow. Um, if I, I mean, there's just so many things I can't do or things that I know if I do them, I'm going to be sore or I'm going to be stiff. But when I get up, I literally, I, I kind of scoot to the bathroom. You know, maybe the first 10 steps are kind of like slides because everything's kind of like locked up. Hmm. Um, and then as, as I get going over the course of the day, things start to loosen up more. And if I go to the gym and play basketball or something like that, you know, I'm, it's almost like I'm still playing the NFL. But then a couple of hours afterwards, it's just like, <laughs> like rigor mortis sets in, bro. Like everything goes super tight. Everything is just locked up. Um, and then with the shortness of breath, you know, it, it, depending on how I'm sitting, depending on how I'm laying, um, depending on if I didn't see the chiropractor, um, I might have a harder time breathing deep. Than, than other times so it's just something that's constantly it's a constant thing it's 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 never over um and i i never ever thought that i would even be in this situation because when you're playing you, you're kind of a superhero you know i mean we're trained to play hurt dude you seemed indestructible i mean like i said you were a monster <laughs> in the gym but i mean even among guys who live that life even among alphas you were a guy who was renowned for like dude this guy I mean, he is shredded. I mean, you <laughs> seemed indestructible. Nobody is. Nobody's indestructible. Uh, you know, whether whether it hits you now or later, it's going to hit you. You can't play. I think I had over twenty six hundred carries in and and reg that's regular season games. It's not counting practice and playoff games, preseason games. You know, college, uh, high school. I mean, that's not counting. I think in college, I had over eight hundred carries. In in high school, I think I had maybe 800 carries or something sure. like that. And then in the pros, 2,600. I think uh, someone told me, I did an interview the other day, I, I was I was uh, inducted to the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. And um, one of the guys that did the uh, the interview on me said, that I, I didn't even know this, I ran for over 20,000 yards in high school, college, and pros. And I, I never thought about that. Uh, it was just like 12 miles or something like that. Uh, you don't really think about that kind of stuff when you're playing because you're just so in tune to the game and winning and um, whatever else is... is, is uh, is in your is in your uh, your your mental rolodex at that time, but now that I'm out of it, and each year that goes by, I become more and more back to a normal. It's almost like it never happened. Really, the only the only real reminder is phys- is physical. The real reminder to me that I did all that stuff is is physical, and around Super Bowl time. Let me ask you about that before we move on to acting. I mean, you played in the Super Bowl. You played at the highest level. You played in that game. And the Bears lost Super Bowl 41 to the Colts. So because you played in that game, you know that game. You know what it's like to run out of the tunnel. Did you watch the game this past Sunday? I haven't watched the Super Bowl since we lost. Hmm. And that's what I'm saying. Those are the only reminders. How come? How I come play. you don't watch? It hurts, man. Too much. It, it's it's kind of like the girlfriend you never got over. Huh. You know, you still love her. You're but haunted by that game still. Haunted. Haunted. Haunted by it. Haunted by the playoffs. Um, uh, we, we lost... In 07. And then we were one game away in the AFC Championship game when I was with the Jets and we lost to the Colts at Indy and that was 09. Um, and then I played in the playoffs in Kansas City the next year. We got beat by Baltimore opening the uh, divisional round. Uh, I was in the gym shooting baskets. During uh, the game? Uh, During yeah, the Super Bowl? Waiting for it to be over. 
I mean, I'm, I'm extremely happy for people that win. Obviously, I'm, you know, hey, uh, but the, just that, you know, I guess it was the two-week swing of emotions. You go from the highest rush of your career, winning the NFC Championship game in Chicago, Soldier Field. Dude, snowing. you love that team too, right? Yeah, you love man, those guys. I love my, those are my brothers forever, man, period. And so you win. I have a buck 20, two touchdowns. You, you know, it's like you have the NFC Championship t-shirts, hats. It's like Chicago is going crazy. You know, it's like this feeling of just, wow, like this is something, I mean, you start to reflect on your whole career. And then, and then two weeks later, you know, the clock runs down to zero and they're pulling the ropes out and they're like, Rushing you off the field. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, man. Like hit the bricks, man. Get the hell yeah, out. Yeah, and then you and then I, you know, I had over hundred yards in the game and I think I averaged around seven yards a carry. And so I'm sitting in my locker and I'm thinking, what, what could I have done more? I'm thinking specifically on this play, could I've cut him back? Maybe on that play, if I'd have just stayed to the right. Why didn't why did they take me out? After I told him not to, after I had a 51-yard I told him, don't take me out. I'm going to go for 200 this game. Like, you start thinking of a million different things, and it just never, ever leaves. Then, then or still, I, you still think those things. I'm you still, still think there, there's more I could have done. Why didn't I do this? I mean, seven yards a clip, you couldn't have really done anything else, right? You did oh, your job. I didn't do enough. We didn't win. Huh. We didn't win, man. We didn't win. That's all that mattered that day. I mean, the, any other time in my career, I'm playing... I'm helping the team win, but I'm also competing for my job, whether I'm playing against Cedric Benson, whether I'm playing against Michael Pittman, Jamal Charles. I love these guys. They're my teammates. We're all here to help the team win. But at the end of the day, mm. we both know what this is. If you play better than me, there's going to be controversy and I could lose my job. <clears throat> so I'm competing against the defense, and I'm also competing for my job. This game, just win it, man. I, it doesn't matter. If zero yards. If I don't play, just win it. This is... I mean, they, no one can ever take that away from you, and we and we didn't win, and and I I didn't do enough, and and I don't think about it. I thought I, it used to haunt me way more when I when I when I first retired, but now it's only when playoff comes because it's such a big deal, the playoffs and the Super Bowl, and it's almost kind of like you wish you didn't experience it, so you didn't know what it felt like. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, they always say that is it better to not go than to go and lose. You can answer that better than anybody. Is it yeah. better? Dude, are you, are you telling me that it's better? Is it hurt so much that it would have been better for you not to play in the Super Bowl? Or is the experience the thing, no matter how much it hurts, you got to go through it? I think I think anytime you lose in the playoffs, it hurts. And each game, further you go, the, the if you lose that game closer, it hurts more and more and more. But to lose the Super Bowl is, that's the worst feeling you can have in football. Uh so, but I also look at like the Bills, and I'm like, well, at least I didn't lose four times, you know that that would that would that dude, would think, suck. Think, like, can you imagine, dude, if you if you're haunted by this years out after one loss? And I played with Ruben Brown, one of my best friends in yeah. Chicago, and I felt honestly, I felt really bad for him, you know, just as bad as I felt for all of us. But I was like, man, this is like his fifth one or fourth mm-hmm. one, or you know, especially when you know it, it's different if it was like a blowout, you know. But if it's a game like our game where the opening kickoff, you know, it's a touchdown and then, you know, and then I'm feeling good and I rip off a 50-yard run and I'm like, yo, if we gonna, we're going to really win the Super Bowl and I might get MVP, I might go for 200. It was one of those things where I was like, this is a 200-yard game. I know what they're doing. I've studied them all week. I know what they're doing. And I'm saying run inside zone, run draw, 
run inside zone, run draw. The ends, Mathis and Freeney are coming up the field. As long as, you know, we get some guys to the second level, this can happen all game. And uh, and then and then and then it doesn't happen. But over the course of the game, you know, you you you're not playing well, but you're still in it. And then it's like 22 to 17, and we're driving. So now I'm like, okay, this is going to be a comeback game. We're going to like come back and win. And then you have this, you know, sluggo, and then it's a pick six. So it's like it's 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 it, that game wasn't just a game. You know, it, everything about that game said we were supposed to win. Did you've it run was, through this thing so many times in your head, yeah, haven't man, you? It's, over and over and over it's again. It's rainy. That's what we do. We run the ball. It's it's perfect. You know? Right. It was setting up perfectly. Yeah. It was man. your day. Yeah, man. And I think a lot of those elements too make it make it worse because it would have been a blowout. But we had several chances to win the game, mm. and it was just a crazy emotional roller coaster. And that's why I said around playoff time is when it really kind of hits you because you know what that feels like, and you know you had a chance to 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 win that game. And so you go to the gym and you play some basketball and wait for it, Dan. Well, I'm about playing by myself because no one else is in there. They're all, <laughs> right. the They're all watching the game. So I'm like, you know, shooting baskets, shooting free throws. and you know, I got you. Uh, right. uh, and, the, and the gym that I go to is pretty cool because uh, they they don't even really have the TV on there. So Perfect. Like I can tell them to turn it to something. You got a whole new game, though, man. You got a whole new game right now. And I got to ask you, when I think of you, I still kind of see you and think of you as a Miami guy. Now, I know why you're here. I mean, you're here for business. <laughs> but, dude, on some level, it seems crazy to me that you're an L.A. guy now. I mean, you don't like this town, right? You never liked L.A.? <laughs> uh, no, bro. I've never really been to L.A. I, I was drafted by the Cardinals in 2000. And uh, I've been coming to L.A. since 2000. You know, when I played for the Cardinals um, during that time, we, we weren't that good. And, uh, and, and, and I was very, very anxious to get out of Phoenix as much as I could because I was from Virginia. It, I, I didn't really like, you know, the situation I was in as far as just the team. We weren't winning. I was hurt. Um, you know, I couldn't wear my Timberlands. Like, it was just a whole bunch of stuff that I just wasn't. It was a culture shock. And so usually on Mondays uh, after our team meeting, we'd work out, and then I would shoot out to L.A. You know, I'd come out with David Boston or a couple guys on the team. And... Um, and that's when I first started coming to L.A. And I, I came to L.A. just because I would rather, rather have been in L.A. than Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Not because I wanted to. Not I, because I, L.A. was great, because it wasn't. It just was different. It wasn't Phoenix. Yeah, it was different. It was different. It was different. It was in a little escape. Um, because if I could have gone to D.C. Sure. Or New York. Like, too far. Yeah, but it was way too far. So I would come here and hang out and, and got to know some people and, and stuff like that. And, and um, I did that for about three years, from 2000 to 2002. And then I was uh, when I was traded to Tampa. I didn't come back out to L.A. again until '07. I didn't come back to L.A. See? one time until because I was like, you know, finally I'm back on the East Coast. I'm, in, you know, I'm that, here. that's my thing. I mean, you're an East Coast guy. You're a Miami guy. I can remember when you used yeah. to come on. You know, I was always kind of a big car guy. I used to like talking to you about your cars. You were a car guy. Yeah. yeah. Now you had the big house in Miami. I mean, like a nice enough house that was on MTV's cribs. Yeah. Do you still have that house? Still house. You yeah, still have my, that house. That, yes, that's my All house. All right. Sorry. So here's my question. I mean, really nice place that you worked really, really hard for. You're in Hollywood now. You're working this thing pretty hard. If you've got the mansion back in Miami, I've got to ask, what's your place like here? <laughs> uh, it's not a mansion. Uh, uh, it's uh. What is it exactly? Lay it out for me. It's probably. As big as this studio. Come on. It's big. The studio is actually probably. It's like you have a studio that's the size of, size of my studio. That's what this is. Is it? In the middle of Hollywood. Like right? one one bedroom? I mean, is it like it's a, a studio. studio? It's a studio apartment. My TV. My, this, is, this is the setup. My TV's right there, right? 
How big is your TV? That's, that's that same TV. Okay. And um, the head, my bed is against this wall right here. Dude, literally, this is, your, my, this, this, this this is, is the dresser. size of where you live. This the is, studio that we're in right now. This is my dresser right here where I have my clothes and my little mirror. And then my bathroom is literally right there. And uh, Yeah, but you have, you have a washer and dryer, right? It's community. You have a laundromat that you use. It's downstairs in the basement. Like quarters. Four quarters. You drop in. Four quarters. Like you're in college. Four quarters. Dude, you you don't have to live like that, clearly. You've no, done I, well with your money. I do. I do. Why do you have to live like that? Because if I commit to something, I want to experience it. I want to live it. I come from humble beginnings. I'm not, I'm never, money and living space and, and, and quality of life and all those things are, uh, quantity in life for all those things are great. But- I'm, I've always been a substance person. Um, that's why when I played in the NFL, it's funny now because I'm on Twitter, you know, and so now, you know, I talk a lot and, I, you know, I'm joking a lot, and, you know, and people will say crazy stuff and I say crazy stuff back because, you know, I'm, I'm still that person, you know. Um, but when I played, I never said much. No, you didn't, dude. To the you media. didn't. No. My, but, but my teammates knew you were go- You were always good with me and your teammates loved you, but you were not one of those guys who spoke a lot with the media. No, I just, because I... I, I I knew what my job I knew what I was there for. Right. And I knew that 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 whatever I said to the media wasn't going to help me. What's going to help me is being in the weight room watching film and performing. That's why I'm there. Because if I'm not doing any of those things, I'm not going to be there no matter what I say to the media. And and I wasn't and, I, and at those times there were some controversial things going on with me and my position and 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 I just had a really big chip on my shoulder because of how my career started and 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 I had so much to prove not only to other people but to myself. And so everything was internalized. As an as as an actor and being in Hollywood, the first thing people think about when you're already a celebrity from somewhere else is, oh, here he comes, oh, here we go again. And and I and before I made the commitment to do this, I started to think about all the people that had come before me that that you know got into the business and um, whether they were a producer or actor. And I started to 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 look at them in their careers and see what they did, what they didn't do, because I've always been a student of everything. I, I was one of those kids when I was in high school, I had over 100 scholarship offers and I had every single media guy and I knew where every single running back was from, what city they were from, how many yards they had in high school, where they were. I knew every single one of them because I always would want to know my competition no matter where I went because I was always strategic about everything I did. That way, once it happened, I had a leg up. I wasn't just walking into like, a, you know, a shit storm. Um, and this is no different. Uh, I've, I specifically changed my name from Thomas Jones to Thomas Q. Jones <clears throat> as an actor because I didn't want people to know it was the same person because I wanted them to see me as an actor before a retired football player trying to act. Uh, I got in t- into uh, two of the most prestigious acting studios in, in L.A., um, Ivana Chebuk's studio and Scott Sedita's studio because if I commit to this, I need to know what I'm doing. But when I would go to class... The majority of people in the class didn't know I was a football player, and they didn't care. They're, I mean, we're, they're actors. Good, from right? Over, yeah, great. They're actors from all over the all over the world in those studios, and 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 also what I wanted to do is I wanted to be around people, because when you're around football players in the locker room, there's a certain lifestyle that we understand. And most people, if you've not if you haven't been in there, or you don't have the insight, you, you have no idea how unrealistic that environment is. It's not realistic, man. It's 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 realistic to us because we live it, but on the outside looking in. People, I, I see people have all these questions about, well, why aren't these guys this? And why aren't these guys, well, I don't understand the locker room. And I don't understand why these guys, you know. It, no, man, like the NFL facility is kind of like the Titanic, right? 
You got the the third floor, which is corp- the corporate side, right? Sure. Tickets and they're counting money and and then you know that's you wouldn't even think that that's you would think that that's like IBM or something or some huge corporation. You wouldn't even sure. think that that's affiliated with a football program organization. Second floor is meeting rooms and coaches' offices, right? So the third floor is like the Titanic. The bottom is like. No one even comes in the locker room. The coaches don't even come in the locker room. They know they can't come it's in the locker space. room. your space. That's our space. So sometimes when media comes in the locker room and we're in our element, because what we do on the field correlates what happens in the locker room, you don't turn that off. You don't just go on the field and act like a complete savage lunatic and then get in the locker room. By the way, I can say I've never understood that. I've never understood that about any of the stuff that you guys do, that you have to be a savage. There's got to be a switch. It's got to go on and off, on and off, on and off. And then when you come off the field, you're supposed to always turn it off. It can't be easy to always turn it off. And then you can answer that. And then this life here, I mean, being an athlete and having that savage mentality, is that helping you or did you have to decode and deprogram yourself completely for the new world? Well, it's hard to turn it off. Even for me now, because, you know, once... Even now. Even now. Once, um, as a football player, I, I, I tweeted this out one time. I think it was after uh, the Pittsburgh game. Uh, Bengals game when there were all those, like, concussions. Yep. And, yep. and I was like, you know, as a football player at any level, but especially the NFL, all your, your survival instincts are uh, activated. Once the ball snapped, this is like being in a Serengeti, man. I'm a running back. The ball is... You know, I'm I'm the gazelle. Defensive players are the lions, and they haven't eaten, right? So me and the ball are the meal. If they don't eat, they starve. And if I don't get away from them, I die. That's that's exactly what it is. That's the exact mentality when the ball snapped. You, you, the play's drawn up a certain way. It's designed to go a certain way. But as soon as the ball snapped, you react. You were reacting. You know what I mean? Like if you're a gazelle running from a lion, you don't know where you're going to run. Right? You just run trying to away. Get away. Yeah. You're just trying to get away. Stay alive. Stay alive. That's the mentality. And, and every human being has those animal instincts. But every human being doesn't, aren't, it, they're not put in a position where those instincts are activated. So if those instincts aren't activated, you're not going to understand someone whose instincts are activated. The only difference is when ours are activated, we have to be able to turn that off and on. Some people can't turn it off and on. Most of us can't turn it off and on. Um, and so when you when you have that kind of scenario, you know, which which now that I'm out of the NFL and 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 I'm an I'm an actor, I'm able to see things from both perspectives because I'm living both sides. Um, acting became therapy for me. I needed it when I retired because I was the same person. And that's how a lot of guys get in trouble or a lot of guys get themselves in tough situations. It's not because they want to. It's because no one understands us. No one understands because it's 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 very uh, extreme job in a very extreme environment. It's kind of like, like the military, you know. I mean, you, you can't, you would never know what it would feel like to be on a front line in a battle and to have to like shoot someone or, or know you're going to be shot and go anyway. I know I could go in a game. I I know the night before the games we get the first 10, 15 plays. First three plays might be to me, Thomas. We're going to give you the first three plays inside zone first play. Third, second play is going to be tossed. We're going to run them, get them tired, and then we're going to go ISO. Three plays in a row. So when I go to bed at night, <clears throat> I don't know what's going to happen in, during those three plays, but I know I'm getting the ball. Right. And I have all this time to think about what's going to possibly happen to me. I could either break it for an 80-yard touchdown or I could break my leg. These are all real things. The one thing that's not going to change is I'm going to be in there. 
unless I just quit, which I'm not going to do. And the game is going to be played. So when you break it down to to to, it's to core that level. level, yeah, it's it's way deeper than just guys on a football field. It's a psychological game, man, that you play with yourself. And, and, then, and then the game stops, and you got to reintegrate and go on with the rest of your life, which would be challenging enough in and of itself. But then you're trying something which is it's it's kind of counterintuitive to what you're doing. It's you can't just use your physicality to impose your will. This is a totally different game. So then you get into this, and you commit to your craft, and you're getting better, and you're going to classes, and you're studying with the best, and there's a different kind of competition. And then you start to go out on auditions. I want to ask you about an audition. Your agent got you an audition on a BET series, Being Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. Being, Ma- uh, Being Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. What did that mean to you when you got that shot? How important was that to you? Well, I just want to, real quick, like when, I, when, I, when we talked about where I'm staying, um, most actors in Hollywood are, are aspiring actors, and a lot of actors are struggling. They're, they're struggling to maintain their bills. They're struggling to even stay in LA because right. it's very expensive. And for me, I didn't want to come out here and live in Beverly Hills or live in Studio City. I wanted to experience that because when you experience it, you appreciate the wins more. I appreciated getting 100 yards more when I know I busted my ass all week in the weight room. I appreciated my career as a whole because I knew I started off in such a shitty situation. First round bust. I mean, total bust. I mean, the whole league was like, oh, this guy's done. But I was able to dig myself out of a hole. And and now when I look back on my career, it's like, wow. I look at some of the guys that I passed yardage-wise. These are hall, past Hall of Famers. Sure. And, and, and I have more appreciation for what I did because I actually had to grind and live it. It's the same thing now. When I get an audition or I book a role, I'm extremely proud of myself because – I'm sacrificing, man. I'm sacrificing for what I want. I'm living in an environment where I don't have to, but this is where the other actors are living that are going on the, on the auditions. Dude, I know guys in your position that are living in the mansions, in Beverly Hills, with the luxury lifestyle, the whips. I mean, you are living a Spartan existence. You yeah. are living not like a guy who made millions of dollars who can live pretty much anywhere, but like a starving actor. Yeah, You're because, denying yourself. Yeah, yeah, because it's... You're going to tell me you are a starving actor. I am. That's right. the reward. Because I don't, I don't look at my football money as acting money. Mm. That's, that did that playing football. That doesn't count. You know what I mean? I, I did that doing something else. You're living off your acting salary right now. Yes. You got to earn it. That's how, Because at any moment, I could just say, you know what? This was cool, but I can go home. I can go home. I can go home, sleep in my king-size bed in my house, and, uh, you know, lay out by my pool, go to South Beach, go to Prime 112, go to uh, Nobru, go to Nobru, meet Market on uh, uh, in Lincoln Road. I go to Aventure Mall. I can do the exact same things I was doing. But what exactly is that doing for me? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 39. I don't have a wife. I don't have any kids. I've never really been able to sit still. I've always been intrigued by different things and especially taking on things that people just see as way out of reality. You know, as an NFL player coming into this industry, a lot of people – assume things they think that you you're given roles which is the furthest thing from the truth because most people when you get to the real real projects like luke cage marvel tv show i did you know being mary jane straight out of compton these are you talking about oscar nominated oscar winning emmy winning actors that are while i was in the nfl playing in the super bowl you know they were at juilliard or they were you know i work with with alfrey woodard on luke cage and 
<clears throat> she was working on Hill Street Blues or something. Like I was, you know, in elementary. Dude, like, that show is so awesome. I, mean, I remember when I was a kid. That that show was a shit. <laughs> so, that that was that, that show was fucking amazing. Like that was event TV. All right. Yeah. I don't know. You're not. I don't know if you're old yeah, enough I, to remember. Yeah, I know, that was yeah. some shit. Botchko. That that was amazing. So these people have been. You know, I was in grade school. These people have been Paul Giamatti. I mean, yeah, man. And, and straight out of Compton. You know, I mean, this guy is one of the best actors of our time, and I'm. Just gonna just you're so playing I'm, their game, dude. You're yeah. trying to play their game now. So in order to do that, you have to live it, and and that's what I realized as an actor. Once my, the, the the this is what made me really commit to acting. Um, I was playing around in the beginning. It was something I started producing a TV series in Miami. I added a films division to my music la label because I had a label, and um, a project came up, and it was a good idea. But the people I was working with, they were just I mean honestly, they had no idea what they were doing. They were just like literally. Just, I mean, <laughs> it was a disaster. But but I was able to act in it, which I thought was pretty interesting. And the publicist for the show thought I was a natural and wanted to, she, she wanted to be my publicist and take me to an agency. So I was like, you know, I don't want to move to L.A. If we can do this on the East Coast and I find time, cool. So she took me to New York, I found an agent. The agent um, submitted me to auditions, but everything was in L.A. And I was like, I'm not going to L.A. for everything. So I would literally, in uh, Ben, ben uh, Odoru at MMG is one of the biggest reasons why uh, talent AG is one of the biggest reasons I'm still acting because he never gave up. He consistently would send me scripts, would consistently submit me for auditions. Even when I blow him off, even when I wouldn't answer the phone, even when I wouldn't respond back, he just continued until he, I got an audition for Shameless and he's like, Thomas, you have to go to LA for this audition. And I was like, this is how bad I didn't want to go. I flew out there. The audition was on like a Tuesday. I flew out there in the morning at 6 a.m. Eastern time, landed, went straight from the airport to the audition, went straight back from the audition to the airport and flew back the Dude, same Dude, shameless. Day. This was a big-time show. Why were you pushing back so hard on that? Didn't had never watched them. I didn't even know what the show was. Yeah, but it's not like you, dude. Remember, you research everything. You know the competition. But I hadn't you know every but guy. I had, but I hadn't committed then is what I'm saying. Okay. See, I hadn't committed. It was just something to do. So that's what I mean. It, I wasn't committed to it, and I booked it. And it was it didn't have any speaking lines, but once I actually got to set and I was like sitting next to William H Macy and I'm talking to this guy, we were shooting in Chicago. The crew they're asking me for autographs because they're Bears fans. I don't know who this guy is. I'm just sitting <laughs> oh, next. Dude, really? I'm, I'm sitting next to him and I'm a talking legend. to you him. You didn't know. Had yeah. I never I never saw the show. Yeah. Never I never seen him in my life. Mm. I'm sitting next to him talking. We're talking about football. We're talking about Bradley Whitford sitting next to us. Me, him, and Bradley Whitford. I never watched West Wing. I, that's that was just something I wouldn't watch. I didn't. I didn't know who he was, and it's me, Bradley Whitford, and, and William H. Macy. We're having this conversation about everything, and and I did not know who they were until we got on set, and <clears throat> and the director says action, and then I see these guys. You're like, damn. Whoa, these are the, I'm like, these guys are like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, <laughs> you know, and and, and then it kind of hit me like, whoa, and I was like, I'm glad I didn't have any lines, you know, like <laughs> because like the I would got gotten embarrassed, exposed. So that's when I was kind of like, okay, wow, this is for real. Like, these guys aren't playing around. And then I ended up getting on this show called uh, Comedy Bang Bang on the IFC Network. And it was a cool little thing I did. Um, but then Being Mary Jane was uh, what you asked me about earlier. Um, when I went on that audition, I had never seen that show either. But my sisters loved it. And uh, I was familiar with, with Gabrielle Union. I had met Gabrielle a couple of years before. And um, I went on the audition, and it was really only six lines. And so I did the audition and they called me back the next day, and they were like, you booked it. So I'm like, cool, when did we shoot? And they're like, well, next Thursday in Atlanta. Um, 
so this is how green I am. I, I, they sent me the script. I only had six lines, so I'm thinking, well, I'll just say the six lines and, you know, whatever. So I get there, and uh, I didn't even really look at the script, right, because I was just thinking it's only six lines. So I get to the uh, wardrobe, and um, I'm looking for my, my, my wardrobe, and um, they, they're like, well, you know, you have a love scene. I was like, I do? They were like, yeah. I was like, okay. So what am I wearing? You know what I mean? And they kind of like looked at each other. And um, the guy took me into the, to the, uh, behind the curtain and said, well, this is what you're going to put on. And it was like this brown, like, tea bag. It looked like a tea bag. <laughs> Dude, let's just call it what it was. So it was called a cock sock. It was a cock sock is what it was. A cock sock. Right. So I'm like, okay, what is, what, what, okay, so, okay, I, I understand. I probably, so what do I put over this? Because obviously maybe, the, you know, and he's like, well, that, that's all you're going to have on. And in that moment, <laughs> that's the moment where, you know, you, your stomach is like, whoa, sh shit, what did, I, what did I get myself into? It's that, what did I get myself into? That real moment of, so I played it off and he walked out and I'm freaking out, freaking out. I get back to my trailer. I call my friend Deshaun in New York. I'm like, yo. I'm like, yo, what did I, what am I doing? He's like, you, what are you talking about? You what said, you what about? the fuck did I get myself into, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, what the fuck did I get myself into? He said, what are you talking about? He said, you in the A, right? I said, yeah, I'm in the trailer. He's like, what's wrong? I said, man, I got a love scene. I'm cool with that, man. But, bro, I, bro, I, I got this thing. It's a cocksock. He's like, what is it? I said, it's this little thing. It's like a tea bag. He said, send me a picture of it. So I took a picture and sent it to him. And he's laughing. I'm like, oh, it's not funny. Because at that point, I'm like. Dude, you're and, tripping. Yeah, and, he, and, he, and yo, you can't stop laughing, he's right? He's dying laughing. It's like the funniest thing he's ever heard. Dying laughing. And I'm like, this is because This now is real, dude. It all hit me because everything around me starting to become. It's like everything's black and white. And then all of a sudden, everything just becomes oh, you see it now. color. Yeah. So, uh, so then they want to do a rehearsal. So Regina King was the director of the first episode. And she. Um, Dude, you've never done anything like that before, right? Sex scene? Never. Much less with somebody like that. I never even watched TV. Right. I, I, I wasn't like I wasn't a big when I played in the NFL. I didn't have time. Yeah. I wasn't a TV guy. So I watched. You, I got. Well, I watched so much film that when I got home, the last thing I wanted to watch is TV. I'm, I would go home. I'd watch film at work, then go home and watch film at home. So I I, I wasn't a big TV guy. You and, know. I, and I now it's sex on camera. So you go to you go to camera. rehearse. So what happens? So we walk. I uh, go to uh, set, and it just continues. Gradually gets worse. <laughs> Because I get on set and I'm walking and I see these chairs with Viacom and and um, executive, and I'm seeing all this stuff and I'm like, this isn't Bradley Whitford or William H Macy. Nah, nah. dude. Yeah, <laughs> this is me. So I walk by the chairs and I'm like, okay. And then I see Regina and uh, I had met Regina a couple of years ago. She's a big football fan, a sweetheart. She's like, well, you know, Gabby wants to do a rehearsal. So, so I'm like, okay. I don't know what that means. I just know that I I have to. It's like, Perform, I just, it's, I guess I got just go got time in the game. Like, it's I, go like time. someone got hurt. You got to go. Um, so, you know, she comes up and I hadn't seen her in a long time, but it was, it was, we were familiar with each other, which was great. And, um, we didn't actually rehearse the, the love scene. You know, we just rehearsed the blocking, which I didn't know what blocking was. Mm. I didn't, had never heard of blocking because I haven't been in the acting classes. So, you know, basically when you get to this mark, you're going to say this and this mark, you're going to say that. So I'm like, okay, I have six lines when I get to this. Okay. Say this was so I'm like processing all this and it's just hitting me like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? So by the time I got back to my trailer and everything was just, it was just like heavy. Everything was like, oh Dude, my God. Dude, you were God. tripping, right? Yeah. I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is for real because 
Now it's like, be careful what you wish for because if this goes bad, if this goes, this is going to go really bad sure. because this show is a humongous show. And the guy that was on there before me was Omari Hardwick, huh. and 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 the the, uh, the the audience loved him. He's a great actor. They loved him, and I basically was coming and taking his place. No, so, dude, this is your Super Bowl, right? This is your next Super Bowl. Now, yes. you know how when things go badly at the Super Bowl, that sticks to dudes forever, Ever. fair or not. You never shake that shit. It's always there. And when they play the game, they run that shit back. It happens over and over, over and again. Over. So you're about to have sex with Gabby on camera. Dude, we, you had to be nervous, right? I don't care how confident you are. Is it, you had to be nervous <laughs> in that moment, right? Um, you know what happened? I think I was like, look, the acting part, I, I really don't have a technique. So let me just act like this is, you know, really happened. Let me act like it's a, someone that came over to my house, you know, and that I'm hanging out with and this is what we do and it's love. It's all good. It's no problem. It's, you know, it's a mutual thing that we do and we're okay with it. And so I just tried to sink into that space kind of like in football where, you just go into this different space, you know. I mean, you have these levels of when you get to the stadium, you get your ankles taped. Then you go out, get ready to go out for pregame. You're in a different mindset. You're in pregame, you're in a mindset out there warming up. Then you come back in, you're in a different mindset. Then by the time you come out the tunnel, you're in a different mindset. So it's like these get levels. process. So that's kind of what I did in my trailer. And um, I just accepted the fact that, you know, first of all, there's nothing I can do. I'm here. And, and then I was like, well, okay. Let me let me break this down. The acting part I might not necessarily understand completely, but I'm just gonna act like this is something that really happening. The 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 love scene part, like I know how to do that. So 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 you know, I'm just gonna just, you know, go for it. And if she tells me to because I'm thinking this has to look real. The one thing I was thinking, it has to look real, it has to be real, but at the same time, you know, I want to have so I want to have respect for for Gabby. She's an incredible actress, incredible person. She's married. You know, um, so so I, I'm. It, there's just a lot of things going through my mind. And so when we first when we got on the set, we did the uh, the scene in the bed first, where we had the conversation, and that was fairly simple, just because it was you know the dialogue was very simple, and I just literally looked at her as if it was, and and then the love scene part, it was, you know, I mean, she's a very um, committed actor, right? And she knows this is her show. And the more realistic things look and seem, the the more the audience buys in. And and she's she's you know she's a vet. She's been doing. It. And I learned a lot from her working with her on that show. And um, and so you know we just went for it. And 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 by the time it came out, you know I was like, whoa, my god, because it just kept getting bigger and bigger and then i would start seeing my picture pop up and people were like okay who is this new guy who is this new guy i'm like six oh, lines my, my ass dude yeah and then the guy and then i had two more episodes and the next episode was light but then the third episode was the biggest episode i was on and we opened the whole show up and there was way more dialogue um and i tried to get in like this little actress class like in miami it's uh this little uh, acting school in south florida and i took a couple improv classes and things like that but it's, it still wasn't I, I still wasn't trained. It was just kind of like, okay, at least I know some of the terminology. And uh, after being Mary Jane, when I shot the last episode, that's when I said, I will never go through this again. This It's almost like you went the whole offseason and you didn't lift weights and then training camp's here. And you didn't lift at all. 
and now you're expecting to go to the Pro Bowl. Well, you're going to get hurt. You don't you don't try to get into shape. You stay in shape, and you yeah. learn you never want to be unprepared ever again, yes. although it wasn't your fault. You were learning the process, which brings us to our current day right now, and now you've got this amazing project. In fact, this project is called A Violent Man. I want to play this so folks can know what we're talking about. It's a movie that you're starring in. It's a movie that you're an executive producer in. It's called A Violent Man. It's going to make its U.S. premiere at the Miami Film Festival next month. Take a listen to this. You're a boxer, right? I'll practice MMA. Would you say that you're a violent person? When you come here, you never guess what happened. <laughs> Baby. I went toe-to-toe with the best. Look, I made Marco Rain tap out. Things are really about to change for us. Ted, you keep your mouth shut. About yesterday. All right, what if I don't? You sure about that? I think you should show me how you beat Marco. She was strangled. Guy's an MMA fighter. (laughs) You think I killed him? This is regarding your boyfriend? Some detective came to my job today. The police think I killed him. So how does uh, $100,000 sound to you? Finally get your fight with Marco. I want you to fight Marco for the title. I wish you had killed her. There's a lot of money to be made, and I make my money by any means necessary. This man, he isn't who you think he is. The man that you sleep next to, he's dangerous. Violent Man, it's going to make its U.S. premiere at the Miami Film Festival next month. I mean, serious, serious stuff. Very slick. What's the film about? The film is about uh, a struggling MMA fighter who is, is my character, Ty Matthews, and he's a, he's a trainer at this uh, MMA gym, boxing gym. And so he trains the guys that works, work there work out there um his his trainer is like a father figure to him he raised him from the time he was 13 years old and um they have a really close relationship uh the champion comes in with his manager and um they're looking for a sparring partner he has a big big fight coming up and they're looking for just a sparring match who plays the champ um chuck liddell chuck liddell yeah played by chuck liddell and his manager is uh bruce davison and my manager is Isak DeBoncale, who's a really incredible actor. I mean, Bruce and Isak are incredible. Um, and Chuck is a good actor, too. He did his thing. Um, but anyway, I end up getting to spar with him. So I spar with him, um, and I end up beating him. But, um, you know, his manager, you know, is a typical promoter manager. You know, he's all about talent and doesn't really care where he gets the talent from. He just knows if you can make him money, he wants to work with you. So he wants to work with me. Uh, decline it, um, and so basically uh, I sign. He makes me sign in, uh, in, in non-disclosure because my friend recorded the fight, and he basically tells me, don't tell anyone about what happened. Don't show anyone the recording of the fight. And he made me sign an NDA saying, and he gave me money not to do it. Um, I end up meeting with a reporter who plays Denise Richards. Denise Richards uh, plays this, uh, Victoria Mata, who's an MMA reporter, Um and, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. <clears throat> Somehow she ends up uh, being found strangled to death. And I was the last person that was seen talking to her. So uh, from there, it just, <laughs> it gets crazy, man. It's one of those murder mystery films where you, you you never know. You don't know until the very, very end what happened. And it's there's some really big fight scenes. Uh, John Lewis, he, he plays... Uh, um, my best friend in the film, Jameson, 
he's uh, he was one of the guys that started the UFC with um, Dana White, and he trained uh, Tito Ortiz, Chuck. He was their trainer. He trained him forever, so he did all the fight choreography. I trained with him for three months before the movie because I I would box in the off season just to keep my my hands sharp and for cardio. But when it came to uh, MMA, uh, I I had no idea. Dude, talk so, about I want I want to ask you about that. I mean, not only. It's a different discipline now, man. That is not boxing. I, I even yeah. in my limited dealings with it, it's a whole different world. I used to, I used to work out with this guy, Thomason. I'd be like, you know, man, I, I'm not feeling this. I don't, I don't like working on the mat. And this guy looked at me like, dude, if you're in the street and it ever goes to the ground, you are dead. Get yeah. comfortable on the mat. Yeah. You know, it, it's a different discipline altogether. And now you're in a movie in fight scenes with one of the best to ever do it. Yeah. What was the training like for you? And then what were those fight scenes with Chuck Liddell like? The training, the training was uh, pretty intense because you know um, it's a very there's, it's a ve there's very specific movements, and and you have to have you have to develop a certain sense of what someone else is trying to do, um, what you're trying to do to them, the positioning. It's very very psychological, very strategic, and and technical uh, too. Very very technical, yeah, very technical. And uh, John is an incredible one of the, he's a world-renowned trainer, one of the best to ever fight, one of the best, I mean, he's trained champions. I mean, so, I mean, I, I had the best working with me. I worked with him at this uh, gym brick off of Santa Monica, and he put me in his class. And so I would uh, be on the mat with some of his students, and, um, you know, every week it would be a different student, and, and these guys had been working with him for a long time. And humbling, right? Even for somebody like you as a world-class athlete, starting yeah. off in the beginning, that had to be a little bit humbling, right? Yeah. It's like the equalizer. Like, yeah, exactly. If, it's like if one of those guys, you know, came on the football field and they came on a blitz. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't know if I'm going to cut block you. You don't know if I'm going to knock the shit out of you. You know, you don't, you don't know what, but I know what I'm going to do, but you sure. don't know. So it was definitely humbling, but it was uh, it was intense work, man. We worked together for about three months. Um I got really, really comfortable with, with the moves. And, and then Chuck, I think, was in Vietnam. He was overseas. I think he was opening up a school or working with some students or something overseas. So he was gone for a while. And so he came back in town. <clears throat> and John had done the, uh, Lewis had done the fight choreography. So Chuck was incredible, man. One of the best people I've ever met. Just a genuine good person, man. You know what I mean? And um, we're a lot alike. We had a lot of similarities. And he was, you know, really just very helpful with, with, with uh, you know, the fight choreography because it was pretty intense fight choreography and very specific. Um, so we worked together for about six days because we had two big, really big fight scenes, the opening scene, fight scene, and then the very the end fight scene where the, the champion the championship fight. And um, we, we, we got it in, man. We got it in. I mean, the rehearsals were, were intense just because we're both athletes. But the, the days that we had to do the fight, especially the, the last fight, the last fight, because, you know, you have 12 hours days in Hollywood. So you have 12 hours, SAG rules. You have 12 hours to work. So the first uh, fight scene was, wasn't as long. It was, uh, it was you know, we fought for maybe like seven, eight, eight hours, you know, um, because, because the director, Matthew Berkowitz, is an incredible director, and he had some incredible ideas for shots. And when you see the movie, you'll see all the different angles and um, POV shots. It was just incredible, man. Um, but, the, but the end fight, that was like, that was crazy, man. I mean, we fought literally almost twelve hours overnight. We had a built-in octagon. We brought we 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 shot it at a warehouse, and we had to build an octagon in in the uh, in the warehouse. Twelve hours for that final scene. Yeah. Wow. It was it was intense, man. It was, and because me and Chuck are are both very competitive, and we're both real athletes that are used to being physical. 
there were a lot of things that when you watch it, you're going to think, wow, that maybe they did that in post-production or editing. No, like we, li we literally were hitting each other and slamming each other. And um, it was intense, man. I was, I was sore, super sore. Um, because, and then, you know, Chuck, you know, I think Chuck was about 230 and I bulked up a little bit. I was maybe about 215, huh. 216. And um, we had the, the opening, the opening sequence uh, I throw him off him. He's on the on the on the ground. He has me in a move, and I'm and I'm supposed he's supposed to kind of slide over a little bit, so I can have some room to lift him up. And he he didn't he didn't move. And so when I try to lift him up, I almost kind of dislocated my shoulder, which pissed me off. And uh, because of football, if I I'm like okay, if I'm gonna get hurt, at least let it be towards the end of the game. But if I get hurt like the first play, second play, I get a Charlie horse or something, or you get like a you know a nick, or you get something, it's like it, it, because you know you got the next four quarters. I'm playing it's mad. Been a bad day, man. Yeah. yeah, I'm now I'm playing mad. Now I'm playing mad because I already got hurt. Second, third play, I get something to the knee or my shin, or I get kicked or something. Now I'm pissed because I'm already hurt. So it, it's a good thing in a way because I'm playing super mad because I'm already hurt. But then it's like, damn, I got a limp or gimp or and you can't be limping or gimping because you know the coaches are looking and see, all right, okay, put the other guy in. That's it. You know, <clears throat> so it was a, it's the same mindset there. You know, so after we did that take, it kind of like pissed me off, and um, so at that point I just really didn't care anymore. It's like, all right, this is how we're gonna go, but we we went in, and you got you have to understand how the other actors and everyone else around. They are horrified. I'm sure, dude. Like Bruce they haven't Davis, seen they haven't seen that before. No, not up close. Like they're they're horrified. They're like looking and they're like because not only are we're not stunt doubles, you know, we're like like that's Chuck Liddell, that's Thomas Jones. I've I've watched them for years, and they're seeing us literally killing each other. I mean, I'm catching elbows and he's catching elbows and we're clipping each other. Even you guys are in your fucking element, man. And then it the, the, it's all kicking in, right? The yeah. adrenaline, the instincts, that competitive drive, yeah. your athletes. Yeah. I mean, it may be a movie, but it's real. Yeah. It's kicking in. Yeah, it's this this is one of the more real first of all, because John Lewis is is such a brilliant trainer and and he understands fight choreography like no one I've ever been around. The fight sequences also um we had another fight scene outside under a bridge, which was pretty incredible. Uh Stephen Dunleavy, who's a, a Muay Thai fighter, so I fought him too. Um, and that's really intense, but I mean, this is, this is one of the more real MMA f films. If you're, if you're an MMA fan, if you're an MMA fan, you're going to watch these fights and you're going to be like, wow. And if you're a fighter, cause that's what we were really thinking about the fighters. Like you watch Rocky and all these movies and they're great, you know, but then there's certain moments where you're like, okay, he didn't really connect with him. He didn't really connect with him, but, but it's, you know, we get it because it's the dramatic, dramatic antics of the movie. But this is like. This has to be real because if you're a fighter watching this movie and you're like, you know, it doesn't work. Yeah, man. It's, it's, just, it's disrespectful to them. Sports movies traditionally have never worked because athletes aren't like you. They don't act as well and actors are not athletic. So those sports movies never work because the guys who are asked to do things are asked to do things that they cannot do. Yeah. But you learned how to do this. Chuck Liddell obviously knows how to do it. You had a director who got it. You had a, for, a fight choreographer who knew how to do it. For those who want to see The Violent Man, when does this drop? How do they see it? I know I could tell how much passion and pride you have in the project <laughs> very clearly, and I understand that. How do people see the movie? Uh, the movie will be, we actually sold it to um, uh, a distribution company at Sony. So we will have a, a theatrical release in either April or May, and I'll make sure I keep you posted. I'll keep everyone posted on, on social media 
and uh, yeah, the um, April or early May. Um, so you'll start to see more marketing and promotions. Um, the Miami International Film Festival is, is really good. I mean, it's a prestigious film festival, and they love the film because it's it's not just a fight film. It's 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 kind of a love story mixed in with this kind of Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock kind of uh, theme. It's a it's a it's a it's a very uh, um, it's a murder mystery, film. right? Yeah, man. But it's but there's so there's there's a lot of subtext in this movie. You're gonna watch this movie, and there's a lot of things that are gonna pop out. And when, it's one of those films when you watch it the second time. You're like, oh, oh, oh. It's one of those, we, the, the script, we thought the script out. Every line, every sequence, every character's backstory um, made every character likable because there are going to be moments in this same movie where you're not going to like certain characters, but you're going to understand their motivation. Everyone was wrong in some capacity in this movie, but they're still likable. And, and that's what I love about this because in Hollywood, a lot of times you have to make people see you how you want to be seen. I'm a lead act. I'm a leading man. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't play to be a backup. You know, I, I didn't play in the NFL. But I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be a backup player, third, second string, or I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with a backup player, but I'm not a backup player. I've never been a backup player in anything I've ever done in my life. I, wh who's the best? Where are they? Okay, where's the competition? You know, and it's the same thing with this. I, I look at Denzel and I look at all these great actors and I admire them and I respect them and I want to get to their level. So I put the work in. That's why I've been in the actor studio for over three years, six hours a week, Thursday night, seven to 10, Sunday night, seven to 10, two different actor studios, two different scenes I have to do in a week, plus auditions. I put the work in and, and that's why I'm excited about all the things that I have coming out. I have a TV series that I'm working on with my producing partner, uh, Deji LeRae. And uh, it's, I, I think we're going to have some really good opportunities to get this, this show uh, picked up. It's a pilot episode, 30-minute dramedy that we shot. Uh, we have the pilot finished. I'll, I'll, show you, I'll show you some stuff before I leave. Um, um, but we're going to be shopping that to networks within the next week or so. Um, I was in New York working on a major, major uh, show for four and a half months. I can't say what it is, but I think it comes out either this summer or the fall. And um, I have a really, really good role on there. Um, I think a role people will remember. I was in Hawaii. I was on Hawaii Five O. I was Fine. there for like the last ten days, like two weeks ago. I was there for ten days. I was in Hawaii. Uh, it was great working on Hawaii Five O. That was really great. Got to work with Frankie Faison and um, Scott Conn and all those. I mean, it was. So I mean, I'm I'm an actor, man. I'm not a football player, but I but the football player is still in me. It, it it comes out sometimes, but I'm an actor, man. And, and this has been therapeutic. Acting has been the most therapeutic thing that happened to me since I retired. I needed it because I need as an actor you can't be a football player. As a football player, we're trained to not show vulnerability, not show weakness, be tough, be hard. If I hit somebody as a football player and they got a concussion, I mean, I, it's it's not that I try to give you a concussion, but fuck it. Because if I would if you if I wouldn't given you one, you would have given me one. That's the game. That's what we're doing. But now that I'm out and I've been an actor and I'm around real people in real acting classes and we're opening up about our real lives as, an, as as actors and interjecting all that pain and all those things into our characters, it peeled back so many layers on me as a person and brought me back. Okay, this is, I'm out. It's kind of like I broke out psychologically. That's why it's therapeutic. That's yeah. why it's cathartic. Yeah. But at the same time, man, this is what, this is why I always had a fascination with you when you a fascination with you when you played the game. That coal miner son thing is still there. You know, what I mean, you're still yeah. that guy. You still, still have there. that that drive, that drive, that fierce determination. 
It's just channeled someplace else, and now you've started over, and you're doing the thing again, building yourself up. You're a self-made guy. You're a self-made guy, and you started over again with something else. Yes, you're exactly right. It, that, that will never leave. That will never leave. You know, my mom, and, and acting now, it's not about, I never played football to be famous. That's why when I got to the NFL early on in my career, on top of kind of the situation I was in, I had to reinvent myself because my goal was to get there to help my family. My goal wasn't to be a pro bowler or a Super Bowl champ. My, I didn't have an NFL goal. My goal was get there. Get there, get drafted as high as you can so you can financially help your family. Get your mother and father out of the coal mine. So when I got to the NFL, it was kind of like, okay, shit, what do I do now? What do I want to be now? So it took me that same amount of time to kind of, am I going to just say I was a first-round pick and, you know, I just went to a shitty team and, well, oh, well, you know, whatever. I mean, at least I was a first-round pick. Or I'm going to say, no. I'm not going to be seen as a bust. That's not going to be my legacy. I'm going to actually be a pro bowler. I'm actually going to play in the Super Bowl. I'm actually going to do something significant as an NFL player. And when that switch came on, that's when I literally went into this committed space of, okay, okay. And then I can look, and I can look back, you know, 10,000 yards later, it's the same thing with this. I mean, I've gotten told no 98% of the time. Now, I, had to do, I had to do a violent man because, unfortunately, some people w- might not see me as that guy. You know, um, there's a lot of different variables. You know, maybe I'm too big. You know, um, I have tattoos. Uh, I mean, there could be any reason why someone might not see you as the guy for a major motion picture, major film. But that's why, you know, I've made my own film because I know what I can do and I know the work that I put in and I want to showcase my ability so you can see who I am. Because if you won't give me the opportunity, I'm going to make you just like every team I went to, you know, every three years I was on another team, but I didn't take it personal. Just like I don't take that personal. It's like, I'll show you. You find a way. You find a way. way. You you don't wait for somebody to pick you. You don't, you don't wait for circumstances to hopefully present themselves. You find a way. No, no, I'll, I'll find a way. You could, you trade me, you know, to Tampa, you know, the Cardinals traded me in July or June. The la- at the last minute, you know, training camp starts in July, and they traded me to a team that just won the Super Bowl, and, and things hadn't worked out there. And I think they traded me late because they knew it would be harder for me to learn the playbook, and, and they didn't think I had a chance. They had six, seven tailbacks already. And then I ended up being a starter by the end of the year. I go to Chicago, same thing. You know, you draft Cedric Benson in, in the fourth, uh, fourth pick overall, and I am look dead in the water. <clears throat> in 2,000-yard seasons later and 100 yards in the Super Bowl later, you get rid of me. You trade me to the Jets. You know, I get to the Jets my first year. I have two touchdowns or something. 1,100 yards were 4-12. and 12. And then the next year I heard they wanted to draft the running back, Darren McFadden. So, you know, then the next year I started in the Pro Bowl. And the next year, 1,400 yards. Same thing. It's like, you know, I, it's like it's not worth it to me if there's not any stakes, man. Yep. You know what I mean? If there's not any stakes, it's kind of like, why, man? Like, what? I mean, that's just how I'm wired. There it is. Episode 23 of the Jim Rohn Podcast, all thought out back in SoCal. And a huge thanks to Thomas Q. Jones for rolling through the new crib and sitting down for it. If you like that conversation, hit us with your thoughts on Twitter, at Jim Rome and at Thomas Jones RB. Looking forward to that feedback as always. In the meantime, the jungle is on fire right now. The simulcast is popping off. The radio program is better than ever. And the Daily Jungle Podcast is doing tens of thousands of plays every single day business it's booming and none of this is possible without your support so trust me when i say this thank you clones i appreciate you so much 
Let's go ahead and keep this thing going. Subscribe to this podcast, review the podcast, and then share the podcast. Then cruise over to CBS Sports Network and CBS Sports Radio every day from noon until 3 Eastern, 90 noon Pacific, to catch the daily program. Ep24, the podcast, drops next week. See you right here on the 13th for that. Until then, I am out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.